Um, there is a sheet that was handed out if anybody needs that. Uh, and then I have the answers if you need that after the fact. Um, also, make sure you, you check in. I don't know if you're used to that yet, but I'm still, still saying it. it. It encourages my wife when I do that. She's very thankful when you guys check in. So the book of Judges has given me opportunity to use lots of new words, and you can see the, the title here. Uh, that's pretty rare for a study of some kind to be able to use that, but it is very appropriate, obviously, as we go through this chapter 9 today. As a quick review, over the last two weeks, Andy's covered three chapters, chapters 6, 7, and 8, and they were all focused on what, or who, I should say? Gideon. And Gideon, what, what kind of things do you guys walk away from those three chapters? What do you think of Gideon after that study? Are there particular truths that you walked away with that encourage you, discourage you, didn't know, already knew, have new information that we, we wasn't presented at all? What kind of things did you walk away with? The lessons emphasize that we shouldn't be too hard on Gideon for his battle. Good. Excellent. I'll actually say those exact words momentarily. What else? Anything else you learned from Gideon? Or even the book of Judges on the whole up to this point? I mean, I feel like that he's not as... Um, to, well, I said to be revered maybe as I had put mm -hmm. it to him. Yeah. Yeah. We doubted the Lord all along. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of brought him down a little bit in my view. Yeah. He still accomplished a lot. He was used by the Lord greatly, but personally, he didn't exercise the faith that I had always described him. Yeah. Yeah. We right. We we hear that that story that he's going in with the three hundred, and you know he's strong in his faith. And we're going to actually talk about that a little bit today too, because chapter nine is about Gideon's legacy. And, and what comes after him. And we're going to walk through, remember, this book is devolving. It's going down and down. And each time we, we get to another chapter, we're getting to something more difficult, something darker. And the author is doing this intentionally to, to see the depths of that. So Gideon was not, he was not, really, Othniel is, is the, the, um, the picture of a judge that looks like most of the things were good. I know Andy last week asked a question related to, um, you know, that the Lord in the book of Judges in lots of places is using various people and circumstances to save, right? Using different things to deliver Israel that you would look at them and you'd say that doesn't make sense, right? You think of the, a left-handed assassin, right? The, the killing of Sisera with the, with the tent peg, and we're going to talk about some things today in the, in the midst of this. And yet, Gideon is, is further down the line, meaning that he, he, was, he was both responded well and didn't respond well. And we'll, we'll kind of cover some of that. So in chapter 5, it ended. So we, in the book of Judges, we've talked about these cycles, these continuous cycles that happen and the pattern that we have, right? And we had kind of that double prologue, and then as... As we get into the, the meat of this book, there are these cycles that we continually walk through in which we see the previous leader has died, the people rejected, forgot God, and they pursued idols, 
they pursued other gods, right? Then they cry out to God, and God responds and gives them a deliverer. So we've seen those cycles. And chapter 5 was, was the song of Deborah, and it ended with that same thing. Um, you know, and, it's, and it would go on to say, in 40 years of rest, right, while that judge was in, in power. Chapter 6 began with the cycle of sin. Uh, 6.1, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And so after that previous judge dies, you know, we have it in the text. We don't know exactly how long, but what, we're, what is communicated is very quickly they turn away. And they pursue the same gods they had before, the gods of their enemies. So in um, chapter 8, we had, or 6, 7, and 8, we had a long section where God was preparing Gideon for, for battles with the Midianites, where he responds both well and poorly. Gideon was a mess, right? And, and it's, it's really interesting because I think Andy mentioned this last week where commentators, they're all over the place. There's not like a consistent thing when you, when you look at commentators on judges. Some say that that was a terrible person. They did nothing right ever. And somebody else is on the complete opposite end of that. And Gideon started out as somebody who was very doubting, had, had a lot of struggles with what is God really doing these things, right? But then he seems to respond well in the midst of that. But then at the end, it's, that, it's part of one of the things that's hard to decipher, we're going to talk about it a little bit today, is how did he really do at the end? Did he do well? And how does scripture speak of him? I'm going to move over here near the mic. All right. So then we had a clear, um, miraculous victory of the Lord against the Midianites with the 300. Chapter 8 continues with some detailed accounts of Ephraim, Succoth, and Penel. Do you remember what happened in those locations? So not Ephraim, but, well, what happened with Ephraim, Succoth, and Penel? When Gideon won against the Midianites, what, what, did, what did the Ephraimites do? What did they say? Yeah, why, why couldn't we, why didn't you have us, right? They were mad. And they were not happy with how that was approached. And how did that turn out? Yeah, it, it actually turned out good. He made, he made peace with them. So we had these three other places, Israelites, where he, made, he ends up making peace with them. What happened at Succoth and, and Peniel? Those two, those two did the same thing. What did they do? They wouldn't help. They wouldn't help, exactly. So he's, he's trying to pursue and... Um, Oh, what was the phrase? The uh, worn but pursuing, right? That's what Andy talked about last week. I, I love that phrase, wary but pursuing. I think that's what it says. And they said, "Nah, you're not in charge yet, so we're hanging out with the with the, with the boss, right? Until we see that boss go down, then we'll hang out with you." And Gideon wasn't happy about that. And so for Succoth, he said, the thing that he's going to do is he's going to he's going to teach them a lesson when he does catch them. But Penuel, what does he do with them? He kills them. So here, in the book of Judges, as we see the depths go down, he's now killing the Israelite people. Right? Now, and Andy did a good job presenting 
you know, was that judgment of God in that circumstance? Maybe. I don't have an answer for you. But what we see is that initially God is saying that, that you're going to keep falling to these people who are your enemies. And this, this is spiraling down. And at the end of chapter 8, we saw that, that the, the conflict is not just with those outside, it's now internal to Israel. That they're fighting internally. And it's going to culminate in Abimelech today in chapter 9. And it's a horrific thing that, that happens here. So he made peace with the two. Uh, I'm sorry, made peace with one and the other two. He brings retribution to even include killing of other Israelites. And not quite a civil war, but very much on the edge of that. Um, and then they, af after this, the people say, Gideon, we want you and, and your kids to be king, right? You be king and your ki kids after you be king. How does Gideon respond to them? He says no, but he does act Excellent. So at, initially he says no. He said, the Lord will reign over you. And you go, good job, Gideon. Right? Having some trouble. We're looking for a little bit of light here. Thank you, Gideon. Good response. But it's exactly what she said. Because he, he goes on to act in, in, as a king in many different ways. We're going to actually see in a name um, a problem with that. Now, what is the, what is the title of this series? Do you remember? What are we calling it? Judges. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> okay, that's, uh, you know, the whole series. That's this. Good. Wait, all right, next, next line. <laughs> okay, so when there was no king. But you know, today we, we have a problem with that spelled out specifically because it says when there was no king. But they asked him to be king. He was kind of acting like a king, and Abimelech demands that directly. And they make him king. So that's a, it's a thing that we will have to wrestle through. So um, let me see, finish that there. So after this, tragically, he makes an ephod, which is which we talked about last week, right? It's really this, this priestly vestment that he makes. That, that when they say, be king, he says, no, the Lord will be king. And then he makes something that makes him the high priest who would be directly interacting with the Lord on the behalf of the people. Right? So this ephod actually is not evil in and of itself. It's actually an, honor an honorable thing. And yet, what happens with that? Do you remember what happened with Ephod? It says that Gideon and his family and all of Israel, it says Israel whored after it. That it was, it was something that was tripping them up. It's, and it ensnared them. And it's, a, it's an interesting thing because we have in this circumstance something that's not evil in and of itself, and yet their behavior responding to that is evil, that they're ensnared. When, when Gideon, um, one of the things that the Lord told Gideon to do was to tear down the, the altar to Baal, right? Do you remember that? He says, tear down that altar. That's how he gets the Jerubal name, right? He says, tear down that altar and build an altar to the Lord in its place. 
which is, is really cool because it wasn't like, well, just don't go worship there. Go build a new altar over here to God. No, build this one right on top of that one. In fact, use parts of that one to make a sacrifice to God. That, that's pretty cool. Re- remove that idol and replace it with an altar to the Lord. That's a beautiful picture. And yet, we see this kind of go back and forth, where the, the worship of what God they're worshiping can get confusing as you go through. And it happens in chapter 9. We'll, we'll touch on that today. So the people are ensnared, and, it, and it's really representative of their behavior. And, it, and it's really true. The, up at the prison, one of the ministries we do there is Heart of Addiction, and the main issue we present is it's a worship issue. It's, it's actually idolatry. That's what addictions are. You're worshiping something other than God. And, it, and we see it here in the book of Judges. It's a worship issue. They're, they're going to worship. It's just what God are they worshiping. And so at the end, we're actually introduced to the focus of today's study, which is Abimelech. 831 says, in his concubine, because it talked about that he had 70 children, says, and his concubine, who was in Sechem, also bore him a son, and he called his name Abimelech. And so it's, it's one of the things that I just love in the book of Judges is that these, these little tiny phrases that you can scoot right by and not spend much time thinking about and considering. But this one we have a whole chapter dedicated to going to move on from chapter 8 and go into chapter 9, all about Abimelech. So as chapter 8 ends, we see the cycle begin again. uh, Chapter 8, 33 and 34. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Bareth their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God and who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And so that Baal Barith, we, we talked about how Baal is, is, means Lord, it's talking about Lord, and that there's local versions of that. And this Baal Barith is actually a pretty offensive thing, because some of the things that are going to happen here that we look at, in today, at, look at today, this is talking about the Lord of the Covenant. Like, think of the irony of how offensive that would be to the Israelite people, that they're worshiping the false lord of the covenant, the people of the covenant, of the true covenant, how sad that is. And this, this interplay with words goes back and forth over and over again all throughout Judges. So the proposition for today, the, the cycle is actually broken here in chapter 9. Now, chapter 5 did a similar thing where it had the song of Deborah, but the cycle was continuing. 4 and 5 had the cycle contained within it. Here in chapter 9, the cycle is broken. It's it, it doesn't go on to say the same kind of things or have the same um, flow that it's had before. And it's going to break off, and it, it's going to do what, what has been done multiple times. It, it gets very focused on a particular story that's happening in the midst of that. So in today's passage, we're going to see the result of Gideon's child with his concubine. There are real consequences for the choices we make in life. You know, we often don't, don't think about those things playing out later. And they're not necessarily negative. Some of them can be very positive. But there are real consequences for choices that we make. And the same, same for him.
but we, not, we must, be, um, must not be too quick to judge Gideon, some of you already mentioned this, by this result alone. In fact, the New Testament speaks of him as a faithful man. In Hebrews 11, 32 and 33, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, uh, Dave, and Dave, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who, through, the, who faith, through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions. Those lists of, of people, the judges in, in, in this book, when you go look, their lives were not something that we say, that's, that's what I want my child to emulate, right? These, these are, they do some terrible things. And yet, the New Testament gives us this picture of them being faithful, that God was accomplishing something through them. God often uses broken, sinful people to accomplish his purposes. He has no other choice for people to choose from. So as we, as we look today, I want to um, just take a look at the map here a little bit. Hopefully you can see that. Uh, and actually, until this very moment, forgot my laser wasn't working last time, so maybe God will help me out here and give me a miracle. Uh, nope. That's not going to happen. You don't see a laser. Okay, I'm going to have to point to it here. So the area that we're talking about, right here is Shechem, right in between these two mountains, right? Right here where these, these uh, roads actually come together. So there are multiple places we're going to be talking about here. Here you see Succoth and Penel and Thebes, which we're going to discuss that as well. Right here, we're going to talk about um, Jotham's speech to, to these people. Oprah is up here. That's, that's the, um, uh, Gideon's hometown. We're going to go there, and we're going to talk about some things that happened there. And Beer is off the screen. You can't see it. Okay. So I, I just want you to see kind of the terrain and kind of the location of where these things are. This is... Sechem is, is at the edge of these two mountains, well, between these three mountains, but again, it sits right here. And just trying to give you a, a mindset of what that looks like, what the city would look like. Now, this is later, but, uh, and I don't think they really had cable and, and posts <laughs> like this. Um, but th this is a good picture of, of understanding what it would be like to be in that environment, that you can see pretty far the things that are going on, because we're going we're gonna to look at a, an account in which he sees an army coming. He's like, those are people, right? And we're going to look at that account. But this is, this is just giving you a sense of what that area would look like. A couple times where Abimelech goes after and destroys a tower or a, a fortress, you could picture it like something like this up here that he comes after because he could take the city, but they can be holed up there pretty good. So that's just giving you the kind of big view So, looking at the passage, Judges 9, verses 1 and 2. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubal, went to Sechem and Seshem and um, to his mother's relatives and said to them and the whole clan of his mother's family, say in the ears of all the leaders of Sechem, which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jerubal rule over you, or that 
one rule over you. Remember also that I am your bone and flesh. And so we're going to start right out of the gate here. Abimelech, does anybody know what his name means? My father is king. Excellent. My father is king. So that, again, Gideon looked like he didn't take kingship, but he named his son, my father is king, right? That's hard to, to kind of just waltz by pretending that didn't happen. And so that's, that's a, a struggle. But Abimelech, there are more than one Abimelech. In, there, there is more than one Abimelech in scripture, right? And so there are, there are another, other names that are used that are just talking about someone's role or position that they have. And yet we have, we'll call them by that name. And so this is Gideon's son by the concubine. And, and notice what, what he starts with. Uh, it's, I, just, I think this is really interesting, is that he went to, to, to second of his mother's um, relatives. So he's talking to his, all these other ones are, not, are his half-brothers, right? But he comes here, really seen in many ways an illegitimate child, and said to them in the whole clan of his mother's family, say in the ears of all the, uh, of the leaders of Sechem. So that say in the ears. He, he wants them to be just having this discussion. He wants, he, he says, hey, just be talking to them about these things. You know, bring this about. And I do actually want to stop and think about that for a minute because Again, there are consequences for the choices we make, and there are things that are going to happen throughout the rest of this chapter because they're listening to this, right? They're listening to the case that Abimelech is making for him to become king. And I would just stop and back up and say, who do you listen to? Like, who do you listen to? Who's in your ear all the time? And it's... I don't need you to confess here, but if you want to share, if somebody wants to share, who is it that you listen to, please do that. We're going to talk about this for a minute because I think it's actually pretty important to what happens. Spouse. Hmm? Spouse. Your spouse. Excellent. Good. Chris Reiser. Chris Reiser. Good. Uh, several Christian leaders, and sometimes that can be conflicting, so you're... Mm. You're, you're trying to work that out, and of course God's word. Mm-hmm. Right yeah. But but you're listening. I mean, the Bible calls for us to listen to counsel, mm-hmm. right? To, yes. And so you're listening to different leaders, but often those leaders are conflicting, and you have to make decisions. Um, so yeah, there's sometimes a lot of voices that are coming in, and I think a lot of them that I'm listening to are are, are faithful men. They're not. Mm. Not one of them. I mean, I wouldn't listen to them if I thought they were just trying to stir me up. Right. They were devils. Yeah. Excellent. Anything else, Bill? My own deceiving thoughts. Excellent. Yeah. That was actually the next question I was going to talk about, and I'll get that to that in a second. But what else, yes, sir? On the secular, um, your employer. Your employer. Yep. You and Andy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, entertainment. <clears throat> what else are you listening to, do you think? There's one that's relatively newer. AI. 
So it's along those lines, yes. That's the, that's the back end of it. But one thing that you listen to all the time is your phone. Like, you have that on you. It is constantly pinging you, alerting you, giving you notifications. All of the electronic world we live in is constant messages coming to us all the time. I'm not going to go get on the hobby horse and, and talk about this a lot, but we do need to understand as believers that influences us. The voices that we listen to, that is one of them. And the AI component, it does something called precision nudging, which is it just keeps moving you in a direction. It knows the kind of things that you like, and it knows from data from millions and millions of other people what they like compared to what you like, and you might like something that they like. And so it pushes you into new realms and feeds these things to you. It's a machine. Humans, humans may implement certain things in the midst of that, try to take advantage of it, but it's a machine. The machine is, is actually doing this at rates that nobody comprehends. And the only reason I'm saying this to you is that that is something that's talking to you all the time. But there is something that speaks to you even more often. First thing in the morning, last thing at night, and all day long. Who is that? It's what Bill said. You talk to yourself, right? You are the primary person that you're talking to. You are the, you're listening to yourself, the various things you say. And so I'll just stop and think for a second. Do you tell yourself good things? Like I'm not, this isn't a, a positivity kind of thing, right? Do you tell yourself good things? Or is, or is the narrative in your head mostly negative? Are you mostly saying negative things of areas where you failed? Other people that you can't trust, right? If, you, if I asked you, if you made a list of the people that you trust, right? If you just stop and think for a second of people that you trust. We talked about um, preachers and others that we, that we listen to and we, we enjoy them and, and we trust them to varying degrees. But if I asked you to make a list of the top five people you trust, right? Can you, could you make that list? Would you have five people that you trust? And the bigger question is, when you think about it, would you put yourself on that list? Are you someone that you trust? Or is that voice, you, you distrust that voice? Actually, Johnny Erickson Tara, she says a thing that I find really amusing. She says, um, I, don't, I don't trust me because I know me, right? And it's, a, it's a, an interesting picture. And here in Judges, Abimelech comes to the people of Sechem and, sa and says to them, hey, wouldn't it be better for you, instead of having 70 people over you, to just have one, and one that is really your brother, one that is like you, right? I am of this city. You leaders, I mean, it's, it's really, as you look through it, there's multiple times where he makes really good decisions in trying to accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish. And so he sets it up as self-interest to them. And he says, hey, this is actually going to be better if it's just me. I heard a, it kind of ties in with that. I heard a very interesting thing this last week that a young lady who was born in North Korea said that when the first Kim came to power, that's exactly what he told the people. Mm -hmm. You've got it bad. This will be better for you. Mm -hmm. Trust me with all your stuff, mm -hmm. and I'll make sure everybody's okay. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what he does, and it's funny because it's going to come back to bite him later because somebody else does this too. But 
people are swayed by self-interest. They are. They want to know, what, how's that going to work for me? Think about our political system. When you vote, what is the main thing driving? Because you like that guy, you think he's going to do things that will be beneficial. You're thinking self first as it relates to that generally. And so in Proverbs 18.8, it says, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body because he is a, he is a, a master politician of Bimelech as he comes to them because he said, what is going to be better for you? Stop and think about this. Do you want those people that you don't know, have never been here, won't ever be here to be in charge of you? Or do you want me to be in charge of you? So he says, I am one, I'm one of you, unlike the rest of my brothers. This comes back to bite him when Gail shows up, who is truly like them. So then we're going to look at Judges 9, verses 3 to 6. Did someone read that for us? Judges 9, verses 3 to 6. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the hearing of all the leaders of Shechem. And they were included to follow and inclined to follow Abimelech. And they said, Here's our relative. They gave him 70 pieces of silver from the house of Baal with which Abimelech hired willful and reckless fellows, and they followed him. Did you say six? Uh, yes, please. And then he went to his father's house at Ophir and killed his brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, seventy men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left, for he hid himself. All the men of Shechem and all Bel and Beth Milo assembled together, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar which was in Shechem. Thank you. So again, we see that his, 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 and his mother's relatives, so this is expanding, spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears in, of the leaders, and their hearts inclined to follow him because it was self-interest. He presented a really good case for why you should follow me. It, it was a great, a great case, and they, they went right along with it. And, and it says and, uh, in verse 4, and they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of baal Bareth. So this is really interesting because they are funding him, the king of Israel, from the Baal temple, from a false god. No, <laughs> it does not. But I mean, again, think of how offensive that is. Like, if, you, if you're an Israelite and you're reading this story, that is extremely offensive. Actually, we're going to read later where they won't even use Baal's name. And here... They're funding his campaign, the things that he wants to accomplish from the enemy's God, from the enemy's temple. It's a horrific thing that's, that's happening that's easy for us to, to kind of go by. But their hearts were inclined to follow, self-serving. He is one of us. Baal Bereth means Lord of the Covenant, as we talked about, that they're being funded by the false Lord of the Covenant, the true covenant people of God. And then uh, the phrase there that... I, you know, I find it um, really interesting. Worthless and reckless fellows are the best kind to hire when committing fratricide, right? Because he, he, again, he's, he's wise in what he's doing. He's not looking for honorable men. Yes, sir. I was thinking about that. You know, we went to the Holocaust Museum over mm -hmm. the huge thing, and I saw several things. One of them was uh, uh, 
uh, I forget, Ellie Weiss hit in the wall or something yeah. for two years. And one of the things that they held on to was that the hearts of men were good, right? Yeah. And I just thought, and I've always thought that when witnessing to uh, Jewish yeah. people, that so often I want to encourage them to read their own book. Because mm-hmm. just listening to things like, oh, you would have a better understanding of your heart if you'd read your history. Yeah. It's just the history is really raw. And you, I always thought all of you would be saved if you would read this with an honest heart. You would see you're not good. Yeah. Yeah. God has given you testimony over and over. But, yeah. love, but, but there's also a love for his people. Absolutely. And uh, so you wouldn't. You, I heard of a testimony of a, of a Jewish person who read the Bible late in her life and saw just that, that God opened her eyes, saw that saw their history, repented, put her faith in the Messiah, mm-hmm. and, and basically wept for joy the rest of her mm-hmm. day. Yeah. Yeah. Because you could see, because you you could see it with that that contrast there. How many sons did Gideon have? Seventy, seventy-one. But it seems like seventy-two since. Right, because Abimelech is counted in that. Right, that. Abimelech, one right. of his sons, killed seventy of them. And Jotham was escaped, yes. And yet previously it says in verse eight thirty, now Gideon had seventy sons who were his direct descendants. Right. And many wives. Right. So does that mean two of the sons weren't his direct it means that, that Abimelech was not from one of his wives, it was from his concubine. So, from a concubine means not a direct descendant in this context? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why so much of this is offensive. Right. Yeah, but it's, we're, we're doing like, accounting like they do at Amazon. You can be off by a million dollars and it's okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's a good question. And I looked at that same thing and said, wait a minute, the math doesn't add up here. But it is one that you're, you're trying to wrestle with, he himself. Okay, yes? When you look at it, it's he married the other ones. Mm-hmm. He thought it was wrong biblically. Mm-hmm. And it was going against what they knew as the Torah. The concubines weren't, because I mean, his son still was a direct descendant of right. him, but he wasn't recognized as such because it wasn't a recognized marriage. That's right. Yeah. Probably a better way to. Yeah. Yep, I appreciate that. Thank you. So, moving on here, one of the things that we have to, that it just kind of breezes over, um, is when he goes and kills the 70 brothers. It says that he killed the brothers, 70 brothers, on one stone. Right? So, it could be easy for us in our mind to say, well, he went and they fought against him and there was a war and he ended up winning and they all died. That's not what happened. He, he slaughtered them on one stone, serially, meaning that he killed one, another, maybe two at a time. I have no idea, but one stone is not 70 people standing on there, and they wipe them all out at the same time. So again, think of this fratricide that's happening. He's killing brother after brother after brother after brother after brother 70 times, right? It's a horrific, it's a quick sentence that we go right by. But it's a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing that happens. And he brings these reckless and worthless fellows with him to do that. And then we have that little comment, which is just so beautiful and, and often in Judges. And Jotham was, was left. He hid himself, right? And just kind of skates right by that. Now, the last thing is the oak of the pillar at, at um, Sechem. Um, 
that, that is where worship, like when they say that pillar, it's like the Asheroth pole, and they're, they're talking about that, that this happened, that he was anointed again with something that was related to Baal worship, to be the king over the Israelite people. And just how, how crazy and mixed up that is, that all this is happening. Yeah, he doesn't want anybody um, resisting that. So what, because then, he, then he's, you know, exactly how that flowed down, because my father as king is his name, um, he gets rid of the rest of them, well, he's the only one left. But Jotham's left here. So that's not what he wanted. And Jotham brings this account to him. Would somebody read verses 7 to 9? Now when they told Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim, and lifted his voice and cried out. And he said to them, Listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Should I cease giving my oil, with which they honor God and men, and go to sway over trees? Now we're going to stop there, thank you. Because this, this account that he gives, this fable that he gives, he has three different plants that he's presenting as the tree saying, hey, reign over us, right? And we can see in this first one what actually happens with, through, through each of them is that um, the trees at once uh, went out to anoint the, uh, anoint the king over them and said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said, shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go whole sway over the trees? And one of the things that to just keep in mind is the olive tree knew what it was supposed to do, right? The olive tree had a, already had a purpose in what it was doing. And that's actually what happens with the fig tree and with the vine, the same thing. It's, we, we have a purpose. We don't, we're not gonna go hold sway over trees. That's not what our purpose is. We're not called to do that thing. And, that, and neither is Abimelech. That's, that's the point. Abimelech is not the king over Israel. Should not be the king over Israel. That's not the role that he's supposed to be playing. And these three here are very important plants to them, and they know what their purpose is. It's also interesting that he's, he presents, Jotham presents this um, in verse 7, says, Listen to me, you leaders that God may, of, of Shechem, that God may listen to you. And so he's presenting something to them where he's saying, give an answer back, right? I'm going to present this thing to you, and you answer God. I'll give you the question but you need to answer to God on this. And so he says it from that mountain that I showed before, because for two reasons. The acoustics, it helps to be able to speak down acoustically. That would be better for him to communicate. And secondly, it keeps him away from Abimelech, who wants to kill him, right? Because he skedaddles out of there. And do you, do you know where he went? Where, where did Jotham go? No, it's, it says at the end. Actually, hang on one sec. Um, to where? To Beer, right? That's where he, he was fleeing to. He ends up leaving there. But just I know some of you are going to be tempted. That doesn't mean go hang out at a bar. That's not like biblical evidence that you can hang out at a bar. But ironically, you are sitting in a bar. This was once a bar, right? 
But in verse 14, it says, then all the trees said to the bramble, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you are anointing me as king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out from the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. And so the, what's being presented here is that this thorn bush, right? They, they, they couldn't get these other plants, trees, to be king over them. And so now they're down to this thorn bush. So you be king, right? So they're reaching the bottom of the barrel. Again, an insult to Abimelech. And the, and the really funny part is where it says um, in verse 15, the last half of it, where it says, then come and take refuge in my shade. How much shade does a, does a thorn bush have? Not much, not much. Yeah, yeah, not much at all, right? And it's, and it's not a place where you are going to be comfortable sitting in the shade of a thorn bush. And so you're going to be pricked by that thing. That thing's going to harm you. And so that's the picture that, that he's giving here. Um, and it, that shade is a false hope. And if you think and think back, what happens in Genesis when, when man is cursed? Huh? Yes, exactly. So bramble is, is a sign of a curse. That's, so they went to the cursed one in order to have him be king. They were okay with that. They, they, because it was going to do well for them in their mind. So it's a, it's a false hope. Um, would someone read for us Isaiah 9, 17 to 19? Isaiah 9, 17 to 19. Who will read that? Thank you. Therefore, the Lord does not rejoice over their young men and has no compassion on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is godless and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. For all of this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. For wickedness burns like a fire, it consumes briars and thorns, it kindles the thickets of the forest, and they roll upward in a column of smoke. Though the, uh, though the wrath of the Lord of hosts through, sorry, the mm -hmm. wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is scorched, and the people are like fuel for the fire. No one spares another. Thank you. And so just getting that picture of the thorns and the bramble and the fire that comes from that, which is exactly what's being presented here. In Hebrews it says, but if, if it bears thorns and thistles, it, before he was talking about a land of, of rains and, and abundance. And here in verse 8 he says, but if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless, near to be cursed near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. And so Jotham goes on to say, judge for yourself. In verse 16, he says, Now therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, if you have dealt well with Jerubal and his house, and have done with them as his deeds deserved, and I'm going to just stop there. So he's, he's presenting this, if this has happened, if you acted in good faith and integrity, right? It's, it's judge this for yourself. Did you do this with integrity? And Jotham's going to go on, and he's going to make a case about what happened with his dad, um, and, and primarily pointing out how they have failed him and what his dad had done for them. So the things that, 
he's be, that he's presenting as accusations are related to Abimelech. Is it right that Abimelech be king, and did you do that in the right way? And then secondly, um, having to do with, with Gideon and his household and his, his family. Did you treat them right? Yes, sir. Another thing to note is that Abimelech went to Shechem and said, I'm one of you. I'm of you. Yeah. He went to the leaders mm -hmm. and to get them on his side. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that Jotham did is go straight to him mm -hmm. and say, Yeah. Truth. Yeah. And, and so that took courage. Yeah. For him to go right to the heart of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and just present it. And be accountable before the Lord. Because he says, I'm going to say this to you, you answer to God. Now, he did say it from the top of a mountain, so the courage was a little bit of a distance there. Right? I'm just joking about that, because it was courageous. But he, he brought exactly where the issue was. But it's wonderful how that actually worked out, because they knew it wasn't with integrity. And so now, all of a sudden, Abimelech, who had these people on his side, there's a crack in that relationship. Right? And that, that's, we're going to see that as we go through. So we can hear people with persuasive words, and then what is the truth in, in what mm -hmm. they're saying? Somebody else points out the truth. Yeah, and, and, if, it, and if it's always related to self-interest, at some point they're going to have an interest in something else, which is not you. You know, if you're bringing some sort of thing and you're trying to influence them by their self-interest, all of a sudden they have a self-interest over here. So it means that they, they switch very quickly. And it's, it's really what a picture of Israel and what they had done with trying to remember the Lord and worship the Lord versus worshiping the false gods. And so um, verses 19 and 20, it says, If then you have acted in good faith and integrity with Jerubal and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of, of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled to, and went to Beer and lived there. Right? So he, he's saying that if this is the case, judge for yourself, but if not, destroy one another. And so as the account unfolds, um, we're going to see that very thing come. Okay. Yes? So one other thing I think is interesting too is that it said that uh, Abimelech hired worthless men. They knew that he hired worthless men. Mm -hmm. You can tell. It's not like they're going to this blindfold and say, wow, this dude's hired worthless men. Mm -hmm. Let's follow this guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're, the conscience has got to be going off with folks saying, we're probably something we shouldn't be doing. But it seems good, so it's going to be good for us to do it. Yeah. And think about how messy this whole thing has been, really. Like, the, that he's being funded by, again, an enemy god. And he's being anointed at an enemy altar. It, it's, and it's, it's just like Exodus, I thought earlier, when they said, Behold Israel, they made the golden calf. This is the God of yeah. Israel. They knew full well that wasn't the case. Yeah. But then, yet they fell down in the court after that. Yeah. Because why are, why are false gods and idols, why are they um, preferential for us? Why, why would we prefer to have something other than God? Because they can't really hold us accountable. And we can control it. That, that's it. That's why we do that. Because also, that's something that we control, yeah? It's also kind of a false perception of reality. So, so, 
So in other words, the things that are real, 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 are the spiritual things. Mm -hmm. But these false idols are there in front of us, and tangible, and so they appeal to our senses. And they can make us feel good in, in that moment, if it's providing that thing that we want. There's also the, the element of Romans chapter 1 where it says they exchange. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. A blinding that happens that you begin to believe. Yeah. And you can't see truth. Yeah. Yeah. Because those idols ultimately demand worship. Like when you have that. And we talk about that in the addiction stuff. Like it, it, starts, it starts making a demand on you that you are now a slave to this idol all of a sudden, something that's even false. So in verse 22, it says, Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. <laughs> right? It was in the days when there was no king in the land. Uh, well, what's this? He ruled over Israel for three years. That, again, a tough thing, but one of the things to keep in mind is that the word there, rule, is not king, and it's, the author has put it there intentionally, that he's not a legitimate king, right? He doesn't belong in that position. But he did rule over Israel, and Israel, kind of like Baal Baruth, they would use the word Israel, and they could mean a locality. They could talk about Israel, but it's really these people groups up in the northeast, or in the southwest, or whatever it might be. So verses 23 and 24, um, and God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. That, violence, that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jerubal might come, and their blood laid on, be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hand to kill his brothers. And so where we talked about how this broke the pattern as we got into chapter 9, this is, this is God acting, in the past, he would bring deliverers, right? His, it would say that, that um, Lord, the Lord brought Ehud, right? He strengthened Ehud to do this thing. Or the Spirit came and gave him strength, gave Gideon strength, right? Here, what does the Lord bring? What's that? An evil spirit. So in contrast to God empowering previous deliverers, God sends an evil spirit to bring conflict. Would someone read Judges 3.10? Judges 3.10. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan Rishathan, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed, prevailed over Cushan Thank you. And so the, the Lord is empowering these other deliverers, these other judges, but here, the, the Lord injects an evil spirit to exacerbate that conflict, right? Jotham's speech, what he brought to them, what the challenge that he brought was already setting that to happen. And then at the same time, as many times as we've already seen in the book of Judges, the Lord is working with the circumstances that are going on. And so, and so he, he brings a, an evil spirit that there may be conflict, and we will see conflict in this, Ken. Which is interesting, you know, you use that word rule. But Abimelech was an illegitimate son. He's an illegitimate king. Mm -hmm. What he did was evil. God allowed the evil spirit to come in. And, mm -hmm. You know, you just see the consistency of God and what yeah. he does throughout his word. Yeah. Yeah. 
So in verse 25, and the leaves of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops, and they, um, uh, yeah, the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountain, against Abimelech, on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by along the way, and it was told to Abimelech. And so that, that evil spirit, the speech of Jotham, is doing its work. Now, all of a sudden, they, they don't want that relationship with Abimelech anymore. Now that's separated. Now, that, now there is conflict that's happening. And this opens the door for the next section, which we're going to have to get into next week. Um, yeah, so keep that. And I can't show you the answers yet. Sorry. But one of the things to just, just keep in mind as, as we're working through this, that the Lord is at work in each of these circumstances. And they're not pretty. It's not clean. Secretly, it's a lot like our lives, right? The times when we turn away from the Lord. How quickly we can end up pursuing other things that are dishonoring to the Lord. But I would want us to keep a picture of how offensive it is of the things that are happening here. It's extremely offensive to the Lord. As you consider how this king came about. Any comments, questions? All right, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time this morning, Lord. Father, give us strength to, to even navigate these things as we look at your word. Often so challenging how we, how we can reconcile what we see here clearly in your word. Father, we thank you that you are at work. You are constantly at work in these things. That all these things are in your hand. We we trust you in that, Lord. We don't, we don't always know in our own lives as we go forward what the results will be from the various things that we choose to do. And yet, Lord, we know that they are all in your hand, that nothing is, is outside of your sovereignty. Father, we desire to please you. We want to honor you with our lives, Father. We don't want to chase false gods. We don't want to bring offense to you by the things that we listen to, by the things that we pursue. May you be glorified in our lives, even this week. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.